Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. The session that we are in today is, uh, has got working title Raising Revolutionaries, which is the kind of title of my blog and what I describe as my current role as a mother and home educator. Um, and the particular focus that I'm going to be looking at today is how self-directed education can empower children to create a better future. Um, what that means and what it means for us in our individual roles will differ. Um, so I'll give you a bit of background on what that means for me and then you'll have the chance if you wish to to talk about it yourselves as well. So, um, about me, uh, my name's Sophie. Um, I have I live in Devon, and I have two children, a two-year-old and a seven-year-old, two boys. Um, and I'm currently a home educator, um, but I wasn't really expecting to turn out that way. Um, as a child myself, I absolutely hated school, even though I was theoretically very good at it. I'd worked out how to game the system, but I was kind of viscerally aware of it, chipping away at my sense of self. I had memories from when I was very small of just being like, what, why, what is the point of all of this? Um, and it did nothing for my self-esteem and self-confidence. In fact, once I left school, like a lot of people I've spoken to since, it took me a long time to recover from my experience of the education system and work out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, although, ironically, it turned out that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I worked in various roles within the mainstream education system, um, leading drama workshops and as a teaching assistant for special educational needs and children with English as an additional language. Um, I taught at secondary level after training at the Institute of Education um, in English, drama, media and film uh, in both East London and down here in Plymouth. I was on the senior leadership team at both schools in various roles and then later took up a role as a governor and also completed a research-based Master of Teaching degree alongside all of this. Um, and the goal that drove me through all of that work, my kind of pedagogical focus and my focus as a uh, a human really rather than a teacher was to create a very different educational environment for the children that I worked with than the one that I had experienced myself. Um, I could talk for a long time about what that is but just to kind of try and hone it down um, an environment which listened to and respected children which valued all aspects of their development not just focusing on the academic and which gave them the tools to go on to do what they wanted with their lives um, whilst recognizing alongside that the part that they played in wider society and, and the reciprocal relationship they had with the people around them um, and for a while in the 2000s this actually felt quite possible um, the education reforms that the Labour Party brought in at the time although they were a long way from perfect particularly through my current lens um, allowed me as a teacher at the time to focus on a lot of child-led approaches valuing creativity thinking skills emotional development um, working across the curriculum and with the wider community to design um, what I hoped were meaningful and enjoyable learning experiences um, there was a lot there were a lot of promises of better things to come children the children I worked with, children and teenagers I worked with, were articulating so many more interesting things about what they wanted to get out of school. And that was all starting to be on the horizon that those things might be genuine possibilities. And then in 2010, the Tories won the general election and everything from that point um, began to fall apart. Um, I'm going to... Uh, 
not apologize for the fact that there is quite a political bent to the stuff that I'm talking about. Um, I do know that a lot of people would rather separate politics from some of these issues, but for me, it's impossible to separate it out and party politics and who we have in power and who's running the government. Although um, some of the issues that I identify and that we'll be talking about kind of go beyond those um, party political divisions, I think that it's um, really important to recognise that that has a huge influence on the way that things work for our children and for us in society. Um, so yeah, so after that huge shift in, in uh, party politics in the UK, um, I carried on teaching for a couple of years um, and then I fell pregnant and my first child was born and motherhood shifted my priorities astronomically. I sud suddenly saw with clarity a lot of the things that had been bugging me in the back of my mind um, and I couldn't see a, a place in the system for either of us, um, certainly not for myself as a teacher taking me away from the kind of parent that I wanted to be and as my eldest got older, I just couldn't see how he was going to follow the kind of well-trodden route and go into a mainstream primary school. Um, so he didn't. And as I mentioned before, I have two boys now, um, seven-year-old and a two-year-old, and with both of them um, enthusiastically embracing self-directed education um, and schooling sometimes. But it's it, for me, it's that the focus on them being the the kind of champions of their learning and the ones who know what they need. <laughs> That's kind of my main focus as both a mother and an educator with them. Um, and the more that I do that, the more that I realise how it reflects what I learnt as a teacher, even though you might have thought that working with 30 teenagers in an East London classroom might be very different to raising two young children in the countryside in Devon there are so many parallels that are coming out in what I learned um, and actually I'm learning so much from my children um, and it's convincing me wholeheartedly that the current education system um, at least in the UK I realize not everyone is in quite such a bad situation as us but here it's entirely unfit for purpose um, having said that I don't think that that system is not achieving exactly what it's intended to achieve. Um, lots of double negatives there, but essentially I think that the powers that be, the people in control, are achieving exactly what they want with this system that they've got in place. Um, the system from the outside to us broken is actually, as far as they are concerned, a system which is achieving their goals wholeheartedly. Um, so most of the people I know, and I imagine most of the people um, who are here today um, can articulate pretty clearly what's wrong with mainstream education. Um, so to name just a few things, it focuses too narrowly on exam results. It curbs individuality and creativity. It ignores the looming climate and ecological crisis. And through all of this, it embeds inequalities in society. And, and, and it looks like, you know, no one in their right mind is going to design a system that works like this. Um, but I think... Uh, we're possibly being a bit too generous um, about the people who lead this country when we're thinking in that way. Um, and when we're framing all of this as mistakes that are being made by the government due to their lack of understanding about education, that we're, we're really missing a trick in terms of what their motivations are and, so, and what we need to do to try and overcome that. Um, 
so there's no doubt that there's there's compelling evidence of incompetence uh, from the people running the country, particularly in relation to education. Um, and so that might mean perhaps they're mistakes. Uh, but I think there are enough people behind the scenes who know exactly what's going on, um, who are making this system work how they want it to, to hold the majority of the population back from reaching their full potential, to limit their capacity for creative thought, to disempower them from affecting change, and thereby to keep the status quo ticking over in a way that's overwhelmingly benefiting the elite who make the decisions. Um, there's been so much meticulously research-based evidence over the last few decades that authoritarian approaches to education did not produce the best learning outcomes for individuals and not only that but can be damaging in so many ways and again I know that I'm not telling most of you anything new in saying that um, damaging to capacity to learn damaging to mental health um, and this is this has been documented going back to um, progressive education policy from the turn of the century um, and I find it very very hard to believe that policy makings are coming from a place of ignorance um, in how they're choosing to, to design the system. Uh, it, rather, for them, controlling the populace is more important than truly educating them. And what we see as negative outcomes, um, for example, the decline in mental health uh, produced by the pressures and the disempowerment of the system, can be flipped on its head to a positive in neoliberal politics. Um, capitalism needs a captive market of people who are disenchanted and who are constantly searching to fill that hole in their lives. Um, and they can find that by spending money and then the whole system keeps ticking over further and further. Um, so the more I delve into it and the more I join the dots, Without wanting to, so when, there's some of some friends I talk to about this see it as kind of conspiracy theories. For me, there's a, there's a difference between that and kind of really actually identifying deeply what's the connection between these things. From there, we're talking about a system that is there by design, and that's what we need to we need to accept in order to move forward. Um, and if we accept that way of seeing things then I think we have to accept as well that tinkering, tinkering, tinkering around the edges of the system is going to have very little impact on the negative effects that it has. Um, it might actually increase the damage that the system has overall because it convinces people, whether they are um, politicians or teachers or youth workers, that they're doing something positive in their own little area, whereas in reality, that's absorbing their energies and actually the machine just keeps ticking over um, whilst we're occupied working hard on our tiny little area that we want to focus on. Um, ultimately, we need a revolution. And I believe that the key to that comes in the way that we raise our children. And that's the power that we all have. Everyone who has children or who knows children or who works with children has the power to be that revolution and to raise that next generation of revolutionaries to bring about the change that we need. Um, so there are a couple of projects that I'm working on at the moment which are aiming to address this through collaboration with teachers and parents. Um, one of them is a toolkit for rebellion for educators and school leaders, um, which is being and producing with XR educators, part of Extinction Rebellion, drawing the links between the climate crisis, colonialism, patriarchal system and neoliberal capitalism to really try and elucidate the role that teachers have to play within the bigger picture um, and to try to make clear that 
it, teachers can't just continue doing their job because that's the job that they have been asked to do. If they continue doing that, then they have to recognise that they are um, complicit in this destruction of our children's lives and the future. Um, so that's, that's going to be ready for public release very soon. So please do get in touch if you'd like more info. Um, I will, I'll pop my email address in the chat if anyone wants um, to find out more about that. Um, and the other project is a book for parents and educators, uh, again, working title, Raising Revolutionaries, um, which again tries to join all of the dots between these seemingly disparate challenges that we're facing um, and explain that we have a choice between bringing up children to support the status quo or bringing them up to challenge it. And that's, that's essentially the key decision that we have to make um, as parents and educators. And the latter for me, that ability to challenge the status quo is where self-directed education comes in because I strongly believe that it's only by breaking down the traditional hierarchies. So the hierarchy between parent and child, the hierarchy between teacher and student, between humans and the natural world, and so many other hierarchies that are just taken for granted in our society. Um, it's only by breaking those down that we can begin to tackle some of the huge moral and ethical challenges that we have facing us today. And I'm also convinced that the key to growth and change comes through curiosity, through play, through storytelling, our imaginations ultimately, which are the very things that are most stimmied by mainstream education, um, right from the earliest stage of forcing very young children's brains into learning phonics up to the hugely restrictive um, mark schemes of the SATs and then onto GCSEs and further study. Um, yeah, but those, those imaginations are the only thing that can truly empower us to create a better path. Um, and I believe that as adults, we have a responsibility to rediscover our own creativity, our imaginations, our, our playfulness. Um, but we also have a responsibility to nurture those traits in the children that we raise. Um, so that is my... Uh, Brief introduction to the work that I've been doing, um, and I would love if anyone has any questions or comments or observations um, that they'd like to make. I'd love to hear from you. You can either put it in the chat or raise your hand if you'd like to say something to the group. Or not. <laughs> okay. I am. Um... I don't have a proper question. I just wanted to thank you for uh, a really clear introduction and for framing it so explicitly politically. Um, I think that for me, that feels really important in terms of, of understanding when we, when, when we collaborate around the types of projects that you've described, understanding why we're doing that and where we're all coming from when we do that. Um, and it's something that, that too often isn't, even in sort of progressive type work isn't this isn't the set at the center of our conversations and I'm just really grateful that you've I mean obviously the nature of the session you're going to do that but, but it's really refreshing <laughs> thank you it is I mean this is uh it's relatively new territory for me to have properly been able to articulate these connections and as I said earlier sometimes it feels like I'm voicing some kind of big conspiracy whereas to me actually it just seems so essential and so important as part of the conversation so I'm really glad that that resonated with you as well um Bruno
Hello. Ava. Yes, sorry. <laughs> no, on the same lines as uh, Avi, was it? Yeah, I think it's it's such an important point to to begin for that from that point of self-reflection of understanding where we are coming from, right? And and seeing that and seeing that presented that clearly and and straightforward. I think it was really nice to see and and setting a bit kind of like the context and the rules to to start building up things. So. So yeah, happy to be here with you and looking forward to all the discussions. <laughs> um, Andrea, I hope I'm saying your name right, has just popped a question in the chat um, about what a day with my son, sons looks like. Um, and I have to say that there is no straightforward answer to that because they tend to look very, very different depending on their moods, on what I have to do. Um, we do have a few kind of well we used to <laughs> before coronavirus we used to have a fairly clear rhythm to our week of kind of various sessions that we all enjoyed going to um a lot of sessions in nature i found that um a uh really nurturing that connection with nature has been really important for grounding for myself and also for helping them to um, develop as individuals without too many external forces trying to tell them who they should become. Being Being out in the natural world seems to make it much easier for them to kind of create that path for themselves. Um, Having said that, those days will often be balanced by days when they're sat um, on their iPads or in front of the TV. They enjoy to watch movies. My eldest son loves audiobooks. Um, he's just on the verge of discovering things like Minecraft and Fortnite. He doesn't really know what they are yet, so I'm sure that's going to be in our near future. Um, and I guess I... Um, I hope that I can help them navigate a path which will create a balance between those things between indoors and outdoors between um creativity and uh science or, you know the, the all the different things they might want to do um but there is definitely no set rhythm even or routine for us um and that's what works for us i know other people have to structure things very differently um laura hello uh, i'm sorry i arrived late but um <laughs> What I, what I did hear, which I really appreciate, is that explicit thing following on from Abby and Bruno, like it is a bit of an either or and the explicitness of we can sort of willfully kid ourselves that these things aren't being done on purpose, but how can it be when the evidence is so clearly there and so long established? I really appreciate that because sometimes you feel like not so comfortable to <laughs> take it all the way to that place it's like in order to get on I'm gonna have to sort of tone it down so it's really reassuring to hear that okay thank you um yeah it's there's I again I certainly don't always find myself um in the environment where I feel the confidence to articulate that so blatantly. I th I'm incredibly grateful for this space, for this forum um, that's been created by the Freedom to Learn team for actually being able to have those conversations with people who you can be fairly likely are not going to turn around and think that you're just completely off on another planet with it. Um, and I also have the, the 
the particular conversations that for me have come out of these very this very strange year this very strange few months um has shown me how many people there are who are thinking in this way and how many people uh right on the verge of really embracing this need for revolutionary change um and so i, I it's given me the confidence i think to to speak that truth more often um and pretty much we need we need brave to try try and kind of find that tribe by articulating those things. Um, Thank you. Do you have any other questions or comments? Oh, Andrea. Okay. So hi. Um, I was wondering what what would you recommend to uh, maybe. Um, to mothers or to parents that are quite young but still have lived in quite conservative authoritarian families and schools how could one bridge that because i'm also a teacher and i know when i started to learn more about um self-directed learning and some other types of education and i tried to implement it with my students the tendency to get to the old habits to what my to the patterns in my brain it's so big and it takes an awfully lot of years to just get out of that patterns and not react the same way you've basically seen everybody reacting i mean what can one do to speed it up i don't know <laughs> Um, I I think yeah you've you've articulated something that's been a, a big part of my journey and continues to be I think um, I'm not I don't know whether for us there is any um, any way of necessarily speeding it up like I I was brought up in a very authoritarian background I went to a you know all girls private school I was very kind of academic all of this stuff was like and I it took me so long to kind of work that through and the only the only thing that's really shifted it for me as I mentioned in my introduction is um parenthood and having my own children has has really accelerated the rate of uh understanding for myself but that hasn't come without a lot of stress and a lot of pain um and one of the big aspects of my book is uh actually talking about reparenting ourselves and kind of going back and unpicking um some of those rhythms that we've fallen into uh there's a brilliant book by um robin grill that's come out recently um he wrote uh, parenting for a peaceful world and i'm trying to remember the name of his most recent book but it's all about um i think it might be parenting your inner child um and it's about unpicking all of that and and moving forward without all of that baggage that you come with um but this is why i mean I think that doing, uh, for me, doing the work with the children in my life initially as a teacher and now as a parent has actually massively helped me to do the work within myself. Um, and I guess what I, what I hope that I'm achieving through the way that I am now bringing my kids up and interacting with the children in a, a kind of learning sense around me is... Um, for them not to have to go through that whole recovery process and just to be able to hit the ground running once they have the kind of confidence and the, 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 the wherewithal to, to do that. I hope that sort of answers your question. <laughs> oh yes, Alison, thank you. In a child journey, so that's the one. <laughs> Robin Grill, very much recommend it. Um, okay. 
any other questions before we move on? Okay, so the next thing I would like to do um, is to invite you to talk a bit more about this and to unpick some of these ideas in smaller groups. Um, I hope that people are comfortable with that idea um, and talking to people about it. I'm, I've allowed um, about 20 minutes for this because I've found when I've been in these conversations myself um, it starts off thinking that oh there's nothing to say and then as soon as people start talking it all bubbles up and emerges so I'm hoping that you will find that there's um, lots that kind of comes out for you as you're talking about this um, and there are three key questions um, that I would like uh, you or that I could offer you to focus on um, feel free to take it in different directions Initially, the question that is kind of was driving me in this presentation, which is how can self-directed education empower children to create a better future? Secondly, how can you uh, integrate this into your practice as a parent and or an educator? And thirdly, what challenges does this approach bring up for you, either in terms of the the concept of it, because I know that for some people, um, equating uh, th that this political aspect of parenting and education doesn't necessarily sit comfortably, and please feel free to articulate that if that's how you're at with it. But also, just in terms of the practicalities of, of how you how you think you might be able to um, do that. I'm just going to make clear this is the first time I've actually managed the breakout rooms. So if we all end up back here in a minute, then we'll just try it again. <laughs> But for now, enjoy your chat um, and I will see you back here soon. To the conclusion, that, um, and obviously anyone else can challenge me, um, that sort of like the self-directed learning approach gives um, the sort of the parent and the child the flexibility, um, uh, you know, to be themselves. Um, and to sort of like and not have a as you're saying earlier Sophie not have a hierarchy if um, both the parent and the child or the parent and the teacher or as I call them an empowerment guide are sort of um, learning together then um, that puts the the sort of the child in that equal place um, so then they've got the um, you know, they have the ability to find themselves, to know themselves, and then to be able to um, put that out into the world so other people sort of know who they are. And that may be deemed as being rebellious by some people, but it's basically the child knowing themselves and being authentic and standing by themselves. Thank you. Um, I especially love that idea of an empowerment guide. It sounds much less dry than facilitator, which is what I always end up falling back on. Um, but I think that's really true as well, that it's... Um, I've, I've, end, I've ended up sometimes in conversations with people where they're saying, but, you know, how can you, how can you say that you're, you know, raising revolutionaries when... And, and how does that sit comfortably with the idea of... Um, giving children the choice of who they're going to turn into and grow into but I guess it comes it's this uh, essentially what you've said that if people are being true to themselves then they are creating the future that they need and creating the future that they that they 
they in their hearts that they want to see and that's the best that we can hope for we can't force the future to turn out a particular way um by this self-directed approach but i i guess it, it it's a, a trust in people that they um in, in young people especially that if they're given that freedom then what's going to come out of them will be authentic and true and intrinsically good because of that um Thank you. Uh, anything else anyone from that session wanted to add on? Anyone else from group one? Um, oh, Andre and Andrea is leaving us for the next session. Don't worry at all if anyone has to leave. It's been brilliant to have everyone's um, contributions. Um, Bruno? Yeah, well, we were talking also about the idea of learning together, right? How re-understanding education in that sense of learning together with the children and not just being the owner of the free of the truth and the ultimate knowledge. So, that's to add it. Yeah, I think that learning together as well is uh, is absolutely key and comes back to that kind of hierarchical thing. Um, I've had that conversation quite a lot with people who've been thrust unwillingly into kind of homeschooling um, over the last few months of like, but you know, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know the stuff that they need to know. Um, and it, it reminds me of what was one of the most important moments for me as a mainstream teacher, when suddenly I was thrust into um, teaching and leading GCSE media studies. Um, and my initial reaction was how on earth? I'd never studied it and I'd certainly never taught it. But the result of that was that I was an astronomically better teacher by not knowing more than the kids because we had to learn together and I had to take their lead as, as I went forward. And, that, and I think that the more we can hold on to that, that we don't have to be these fonts of knowledge for our children because they're perfectly capable of getting to those places themselves with the right support um, and can teach us just as much, if not more, as we can teach them. Um, okay, um, let's move on to um, group two um, and we will... Uh, we can always come back to other stuff if it comes up. I was checking who we had there. We had um, another Abby and Gemma and Julia and Kata Keta. So who's, uh, who's going to feed back to us from that? <laughs> Gemma, that would be fantastic. Thank you. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> um, we were talking, one of the things that we were saying was about how... Um, by not attending school, by not attending the structure of a school, it clears away the clutter. It means that the children can focus on the important things rather than spending so much time focusing on the unimportant things, the things that the government or the school thinks is important. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the, the, the main first one, but it just it allows them to focus on what's important. I take it we're just doing the first question at the minute. Uh, no, general, general feedback, you can go into... I was presuming that we're going through kind of all the stuff that came up rather than separating it. So. I think Kat wants to say. <laughs> yeah, I think that the other uh, important thing was we uh, got agreed that usually challenges don't come from inside, but from outside. That... Uh, uh, family and friends can be sometimes those who are who are giving us challenges how to respond their worries and and their questions and all because the kids are just loving what we're doing <laughs> kids kids have no problem with being self educated self self directed learning and and doing doing stuff like that that it's usually grannies and aunties and uncles who are having problems with us. <laughs> 
Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, I just wanted to pick up, um, Gemma, on what you were saying there as well. Um, and that, that notion of kind of what, what's all the extraneous stuff that's being taught in school. And, and the more I, I kind of think about it, I've been thinking recently about it, um, it's not just about the stuff that is the useless stuff that's part of the curriculum, which so much of it is just irrelevant or harmful. Um, but it's about all the other stuff. It's just, it's about, it's the stuff that's about how to be and just this, the culture of compliance and of, um, you know, speaking when spoken to and walking on the right side of the corridor and, uh, you know, never tutting your, kissing your teeth or whatever it might be. Like just all of these really stupid things that just take up so much headspace for teachers as well as for kids. And, you know, they, people talk about, you know, how can you, how can children learn enough at home? And it's like, well, I completely agree that by taking out all of that stuff, you've just got this huge, these huge hours stretching out in front of you to do all sorts of interesting things. <laughs> Um, but yes, I'm also aware that you were only at the beginning of your feedback. So do you want to tell us a little bit more? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'm just trying to remember the, the, the other questions. Um, the integrating into the practice, we were saying that actually it's actually quite easy because the children lead you. Um, it, it, it requires an awful lot of commitment because you don't know when the questions are going to appear, when they're going to want to learn something, do something. You have to be kind of on. So that part looks hard from the outside, but actually you become so um, in tune with your child that it's easy from the inside. Um, so yeah, saying that, that that side, it's actually not so difficult. And on the final question, the challenge is, again, as Kata was saying, it's, it's to do with people outside, that actually um, inside it's fine. And once you find your support group, you know, once you find your like-minded people who are on the same wavelength, but it's the external, and also the, that inner voice. I was saying my daughter is 16, um, so would have done GCSEs this year, and sitting on my hands and thinking, no, it's all right, doesn't matter that she's not doing GCSEs, was actually really hard. Um, but for her, she wasn't aware at all that this was an issue, or not an issue. <laughs> so... Yeah. I hugely identify with that in terms of those it's those comparisons to other people. And um, in fact, as, as Andrea was saying earlier about that whole kind of un, unlearning all of that stuff, that baggage that comes from our own upbringings, um, I'm, I'm still sort of going through at the moment with my eldest who at seven, nearly eight, is kind of just at the earliest stages of wanting to learn the, the, the nuts and bolts of reading. He loves books, he loves stories, um, but in comparison to his schooled friends, he would be very much behind. And I have to really talk to myself about that and be like, this, it, it's so artificial, it so doesn't matter. Um, unfortunately, he just loves books and is discovering it at the pace that's right to him. Um, but I think that is, we, we do have to be quite... Uh, quite strict with ourselves I guess about kind of not getting caught up in what other people are doing and just take our children's lead because they are the best the best guides <laughs> um okay um so let's go on to group three um and I got I think this was quite a small one for a bit um Joe Laura and Rachel <laughs> So would one of you like to tell us a bit about what you were talking about? Sure. 
Not very good if I oh the um what is it called? The tumbleweed moment. <laughs> um yeah, we a lot of the things that have already been fed back came up for us. The 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 wider society as well as family and close friends like yeah everything's fine yeah we're doing great and then you step out into it and you're like no <laughs> bombarded with all these all these things that you're all the more sensitive to now that you've spent your time living in a you know a much kinder way I think um but and I don't want to share on Rachel's behalf. I don't know if she's there. She's she's in a she's uh she's very distracted. Hey! I really loved your story about the GCSE maths. Did you want to share that one? Okay, so I have five children, uh ranging from nineteen uh to a three year old. There's arguments going on. Yeah. My two girls are always arguing. Um and we have one who did absolutely nothing for a long period of time. Uh, he lived in his underwear. And he crammed for GCSE month, GCSE maths in six months. Uh, because he felt like it was something he wanted to do. Uh, he's now just finished his uh, final year of uh, university. And I, I was asked the question we, when we were when we came back from the breakout rooms. We were actually talking about whether that trust came easily, and I don't. I, it necessarily meant that we had to take an easier approach with him um, because he was dealing with trauma of losing his parents. Um, but taking that time to trust him made it a lot easier to trust the younger ones. Um, so I think I was in a great position because that trust had to happen. Um, the other ones benefited from it. So they benefited from their older brother's trauma, which was not great on in any way, but it became a great thing later on. So it means in my house, there's a lot of shouting um, because we have lots of opinionated people thanks to unschooling. Um, <laughs> like no I don't like it I don't want to do this I don't want to do that it's very common phrases in our house but then when they join things that are mainstream where their friends go I see the benefit in it because they automatically rise to the surface as the leader of the group um I don't know whether that's because they can't take instruction or it's because they're really good at rallying a crowd I haven't quite worked that one out yet but it seems to be every one of them um, have all risen to that surface and the girls attend girl guides just for to see what would happen really it was just a casual experiment of let's throw these unschooled kids into this very rigid mainstream um, girl guiding group and let's see what happens and both of their girl guiding leaders have come back and went yeah they have absolutely no problems <laughs> I was like what were you really expecting and I think it's that societal expectation because they're not in mainstream school they won't flourish which is really funny because when you meet the majority of unschooled kids or even home educated kids because they spend so much less time being told what they should and shouldn't be doing, 
they find out what they really do like and not like doing and then they tend just not to do those things but to really flourish at the things that they like doing i think that's what came out of our group um and i think it was really good because i could speak to the experience of the top end of the age group and then everyone else sort of like had younger ones which was quite good i heard the conversation at the beginning but i didn't interact as much because i was driving very naughty but i um, I have someone outside of the car making sign language at me now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. I, there's so much richness in what you were saying, and there's so much in that that I hugely agree with. Um, and it is incredibly valuable, even though you know my my background as an educator is with um, teenagers and older children. Uh, now as a parent to hear from someone who's taken that path through with an older child is just so incredibly valuable. So it really was really hypocritical at first because I, was, I also have a background in education and I was. When I um, adopted my older son, I was teaching secondary school and it was really bad that he was in mainstream school before I got him and he did struggle. And I think he struggled with rules that didn't make any sense because it was at home. If it didn't make any sense, you had to justify to us why it didn't make any sense. And then we'd discuss it. But he went to school and it was very silly rules. Um, and they were expecting, I don't know what they were necessarily expecting, but it could have been an element of bias on their part because when I walked in dressed the way I do, it was oh how do we approach this situation whereas i open my mouth and a completely different thing comes out um it's sort of it's it's nearly everywhere i go that i dr rachel lewis doesn't suit this person it's just it's the norm for me it's not norm for everybody else but it's the norm to me um and from that they were sort of like, okay, well, we don't know what to do with him. I was like, well, I do. I'm his mother. And I handed out, I literally pulled a deregistration letter, pre-signed, out of my bag and just put a date on it. I said to them, do you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll have him. Um, and I think working with the Centre for Personalised Education, which I've done for years, they weren't really expecting me to have the comebacks that I did. And I think it's the whole idea of parents empowering themselves as well as empowering their children. Because if you are empowering the children, but then don't know what your rights and the requirements are of you, there's not much you can do. There is absolutely not much you can do because a failing school is a failing school. Mm -hmm. A failing system is a bigger thing than a failing school. And we do, even with the recent A-level results, and the logarithm which they use to create the results shows us that the system is inherently flawed. So would you like to, what I say to a lot of my friends who say, oh, so I don't know how you do it, being with your children all the time, it's a case of how do you justify putting your children into a system that made you feel inadequate to parent them? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. but that's whether homeschooling or unschooling they're still your children yeah no absolutely and I think there's so much truth in that and when I I've come to realize um 
when I began this work into raising revolutionaries, I thought that when I was talking about revolutionaries, I was just talking about the children. And then I realized that actually it's about turning adults into revolutionaries as well, exactly as you're empowering us um, to, to do that. And, I, and, and it is kind of knowing, knowing the rules and being prepared to break them and recognizing that a lot of those rules that are put in place are exactly as you say, just really ridiculous rules. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, supporting our children when they challenge them, if they are in um, mainstream settings, um, but also not feeling, just not feeling the need to hang on to rules for rules sake by any means, I think is really important. Because a lot the first of time he was sent home was um, because his shirt was untucked. <laughs> I mean, what is that about? Seriously. I just, like... It was like I went to the toilet. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we could continue this conversation for a long time, Rachel. Thank you so much for sharing your experience <laughs> with us. Um, okay, let's let's just go on and hear from what uh, Group 4 were talking about. And there's a couple of things that have come up in the chat I'd like to pick up on as well. Um, so Group 4 was uh, Alison, Andrea and Michelle. Is there anyone from that group who'd like, who's able to share back with us? So I could try to do something. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate that. The others could uh, um, add to this. So we talked quite uh, some while um, about the first question. Um, and um, I, uh, we, we all saw that this is very important, the, the self-directed learning and um, I personally had a question that I shared with the others that I saw that some children themselves say after they have been to schools where they didn't have to go to classes or where they practically could choose their daily routine or daily activities every day, um, that some of them still felt um, themselves unhappy with uh, the, the process at the end, saying that they would have like to be pushed or a little or um, and we try to evaluate what are possible causes for this um, and um, yeah uh, sort of this is the direction we went to <laughs> okay did you did you come up with any any uh conclusions around that topic because it is a really interesting area I think. Yeah so um, some are um, the more common ones that you hear if you are in, a, in, in this type of environment so uh, for one if the parents at home are quite strict and uh, make them learn it can be that then in the school they are more trying to benefit of the freedom so and and the beginning when one doesn't have freedom and receives a lot of freedom, it is often happened that it's mis misused. The same with children that maybe got into the system too late um, and they needed uh, a longer time to adjust, uh, to adjust. Then it might be that just that the fact that some people meet their passion or their meaning later on in life and this is what sometimes drives the self-directed learning. Um, one topic that was maybe open was if the um, education at home supported the child enough 
was to streak or was to lose, if that has an influence of self-directed learning and um, that one is hard to figure out unless you look at specific cases, I think. Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's making me think uh, what you're saying a lot about how we kind of have these, um, these frameworks that it's hard to let go of about the idea that uh, learning should look a particular way or that progress should look a particular way or that um, children or adults for that matter should be doing certain things at a certain stage in their life. And, and that is so deeply ingrained, I think. Um, and uh, I just, it's making me um, think back to the, the comment that Rachel made about um, the suddenly showing an interest in maths and completing it in six months and um, and when you see when you see progress working like that not as a gradual process of kind of building up skills and drilling and doing all of this all the time and doing a lot of busy work to make it look like your um make it look like you're learning <laughs> and actually accept that learning is something that is much less tangible than that um, and comes when it's ready. Um, it actually makes me quite sad to think about all the busy work that children do in schools, how much time they waste doing things before they're really ready to do them um, and how much we really need to find that trust within us not to fall into that trap um, as parents well, and, and teachers. I mean, it's harder within the current system. I know there are some alternative schools doing amazing work and undoubtedly some teachers within the mainstream that are managing to, to do it. But I think um, home educators have a definite head start on a lot of this. Um, okay. A uh, couple of things I wanted to pick up on that came up in the... Um, I think someone in my group just posted something. Uh, we talked about this in a way. The releasing outcome, attachment to outcome, not placing expectations, but trusting each other to self-actualize. Yes. Yeah, that's a really... It's a really interesting way of um, of putting it, actually, that kind of how much everything is about judging that outcome. Um, and how, because within the school system, you kind of... It, to certainly how it exists at the moment you have to because otherwise how do you how do you judge people <laughs> unless you can have outcomes to judge them probably i think we should just stop trying to judge people so much but you know it's it's the, the you can't judge teachers unless you can judge their to judge the children and then you can't judge the parents unless you can judge the homework and it's kind of like just all these layers of things um yeah. i think yeah the more we can let go of that the better. For me, it's important to say at this place that it's not, my question doesn't come from my judgment of the situation, comes of talking to the students uh, a couple of years after they finished school about how they feel about their school and is what was what they shared that they feel. They themselves said, I am not quite satisfied with how things worked. So it was important for me to... No, of course, sorry. And I didn't, I wasn't... Um my comments weren't specifically referring to yeah. what you'd said more kind of the general thing. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, it, I guess that's the whole thing about kind of empowerment and self-directed learning is that the ideal is that you wouldn't then end up in a situation where children look back and have those sorts of regrets. But then actually that's just a very human thing to look back on, to, to, to re regret and, and thinking about how you could do things differently and embracing what might seem like a failure and turning it into new learning is all actually a, all actually a very human thing. And I think even for a 
an 18 year old, there's a lot to learn from having felt that they maybe hadn't been pushed enough, but then having that turn back on them to an extent and being like, so what was it you wanted to achieve that you didn't achieve? And I don't know, it's, again, I feel like this is <laughs> something that could be a whole other um, session in itself, but it's very, uh, it's, it's important to, to name it and have it there. So thank you. Um, oh yes, and as Amy says, not, not so much regrets, but that kind of pers perspective shift as people get older. And I think that's very true as well. And, al and allowing ourselves to grow in that sense, not holding on to a decision we made five years ago just because it makes us feel shame now, recognizing that we're a different person now to the person we were then. And yeah, anyway. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to pick up quickly before we finish we're coming towards the end and my mind is now buzzing with a million different things I want to talk about um, but the, uh, Sarah was talking about team portfolios um, and if anybody um, has any insight or information on that and wants to contact Sarah I don't know Sarah if you want to put your email in the chat or a way that people can contact you about that um, I just wanted to share a little bit of experience on getting in getting to the next stage of education with un, uh, unconventional means um, and it comes back to that rule breaking again um, when I was teaching I uh, took a couple of cohorts through the international baccalaureate in the school I was working at in London and universities at the time had no idea what to do with it and were setting ridiculously ambitious targets for um, students um, in relation to that and it basically took us going to the universities, finding the individual to speak to and just saying, no, you are, you are mistaken in this regard and this is the reality and this is the reality of this child and this is why you should consider them. And I think we have so many barriers ourselves about with these institutions and seeing like, you know, we, we can't challenge them, we can't stand up to them, but they're just people ultimately and people who are, who are kept going by our children. So <laughs> I think that advocacy um, is, uh, is really important. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, if there's having been through that process with various um, students, if there's anything I could do to help, I keep meaning to put my, I'm just going to put my email in the chat as we <laughs> are talking. Um, if anyone has any specific questions or comments that come up out of this, um, it's Sophie at raisingrevolutionaries.co.uk um, and the, my website and blog is raisingrevolutionaries.co.uk which has information about the work that I'm doing as well um, and yeah just also wanted to pick up on I don't know if people have seen um, the quote that Andrea shared a little bit earlier up but it's an absolutely chilling quote um, about the uh, aims of education to control basically and the gaslighting that um that our children are subjected to which i'm convinced is a huge aspect of the mental health difficulties that children have is that they they know the truth um and they are as this quote says that you know they're told that snow is black um when they know that this is a complete lie the big area for me that it happens at the moment is in being students being prepared to go and take their exams and to thrive in this uber capitalist system whereas 
so many children and young people are so much more informed about the environmental crisis and know that that is not sustainable. That is not the future that they are growing up into. Um, and yeah, particularly in the UK and the US, although I'm sure in other countries around the world as well, um, that's it's really happening on a massive scale. Um, Okay, uh, we are coming to the end and we've been an hour and a half, so I don't want to um, keep you for any longer, but I hugely appreciate everyone's input today. It's been really lovely to talk to all of you. Um, it's the first time I've done something like this, so it's particularly nice to um, have, have had your input and your support for the ideas that I've been sharing. Um, so please do get in touch. Um, as I said, if you have any further comments or questions, um, but otherwise I hope to see you again at an event in the future. Um, so have a great rest of your week and really lovely to meet you all. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.